So when we look at Luke 15, beginning in verse 11, we run right into the prodigal son and sin. And this will be our focus this morning together, the prodigal son and sin. Sin has a slippery slope. You ever thought about sliding down a water slide and then start trying to back back up it? That is a slippery slope, and that's exactly the way sin is. Sin has a very extreme nature to it. Sin does not leave us alone. The devil is not happy with us just entering the front door of our experience of sin. He wants us way back in the back. He wants us totally involved and enmeshed in sin. Sin has an extreme nature to it. Our purpose this morning is to get ahead of sin, to try to, to try to stay away from it as much as possible, to sin less and serve more, to get ahead of sin. One side of sin is, and we discuss this so very often, and it's, it's right that we do, and that is to discuss that salvation from sin through our Savior Jesus, through the mercy of God, through the gospel plan found in the New Testament and all the details and all the, all the good news found there, that is the one side of the story of sin. The other side is that God has called us to come out of sin. God has, has called us not, well, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 7, God has not called us for uncleanness. God has called us for sanctification, for holiness. Yes, holiness. Listen to Paul's question in Romans 6 verse 2. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answers it, God forbid. And that's our approach with the prodigal and sin this morning, is to sin less, to get ahead, to understand that God wants us to stay away from sin, most, most emphatically. Another verse to throw in there is 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 where Paul says, Having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every uh, filth that there is, and let us be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, he says. And let us, let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. There's a way of holiness and God wants us to travel that way. And so the prodigal and sin. And as we focus on the prodigal, we'll notice about four characteristics of sin that we need. We need desperately to know about that will help us to get ahead of sin. And to sin less. These four characteristics have been passed down from faithful teachers and preachers for several generations, and we're thankful. You know, there's no use reinventing the wheel. We learn from the past, we learn from Scripture, we learn from the past, we learn from faithful teachers. And I want to share these with you four characteristics of the nature of sin. In the first place, sin will teach us more than we want to know. 
sin will teach us more than we want to know. We are sure that as the prodigal went to his father and wanted his portion of the inheritance early, that he had in mind, in fact, if you read there in Luke 15, he he takes some time, he packs his things together, and then he heads out into a far country. We are most sure with human nature that he was ready to go explore the world. He doesn't want to wait to know what things are all about. He feels like he's missing out. He wants his inheritance now, and he wants to be able to go to explore all that he's missing by staying at home. The devil uses this line of reasoning with Eve in the very beginning. When Eve, of course, she knew to stay away from that particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but Satan comes along, Genesis 3, in verse 5, he says, God does know that when you partake of this fruit, that your eyes will be open, and you will know good and evil, and you will be just like him. This is why God doesn't want you to partake of this. He doesn't want you to be like him. There's some secret knowledge, Satan says to Eve, that he is keeping you from. So if you notice in Genesis 3, 6, when Eve looked at that fruit, she saw that it was a delight to the eyes, it was good for food, but she mostly saw that it could make one wise. And then she partook of it. The question is, did it, did it make her wiser? No. Did it give her another education? Yes. Yes. It's not the kind of education she was looking for, but she, she started knowing things she had never known before. Her and Adam both. They took on some new knowledge they'd never had before. For example, they now knew what it was to have shame. Genesis 3, 7 and 8. They saw that they were naked. They now knew what it was to have shame. Also, they now knew what it was to have guilt. Because they hid themselves. They hid themselves. Now in their new education... They knew what it was to be separated from God because that's why they're hiding themselves. They're separating themselves from God. They now know what it is to have fear. To have fear. Because they explained to God in verses 9 and 10 of Genesis 3 that they were afraid. They were afraid. And they hid themselves. Now they know what it is to have judgment because God brings judgment upon them because of their sin. They're, they are they're running out of the Garden of Eden. At the end of Genesis 3 you read how God put the cherubim there and a flaming sword there. And they're not allowed back into the garden to the tree of life. And so therefore death comes. As Romans 5 verse 12 says, Through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. Now death has come. Moreover, in Genesis 3, 16 and 19, God says, Now, for you, woman, you're going to suffer from now on with hard labor when you, in your childbearing. You will have hard labor. And you, young man, you will have more rigor labor in your working of the fields. There will be more work and more sweat uh, off of your face. And so now, look what they do know. They... They were seeking a new education. They got education all right. Now they know shame. Now they know guilt. Now they know separation from God. Now they know what it is to fear. 
now they know judgment from God. That's the nature of sin. Sin will teach us more than what we want to know. And especially sexual sin is like this. Especially sexual sin is like this. When we say sexual sin, we're talking about any sexual relation outside of marriage. Right? Hebrews 13.4 Let marriage be had in honor among all and let the bed be undefiled. For adulterers and fornicators God will judge. That's what we're talking about. Any sexual relation outside of a scriptural marriage, this is sin in God's sight and sexual sin will promise you much a lot of people head towards sexual sin looking for an education. They feel like they're missing out on something. But what does it actually bring? Well, in a similar way, first it brings shame. Shame, just like Adam and Eve. This sexual sin will bring shame. You see, now you know what it is to have a bad reputation. Because now you'll be known as someone who is willing to dabble in something that's sacred, dabble in something that only sacred for the marriage. Now you're dabbling in something that's, that's forbidden by God. Now you know shame because now you know a bad reputation. Now you know guilt. Now you know guilt. When you dabble in sexual sin, you lose your self-respect because you have disappointed God and therefore you've disappointed yourself. You had made an allegiance to God. You had promised God many times that you're going to be faithful to what He says. Now you have done this. Now you know what it is to have guilt, loss of respect, even for your own self. Now you know what it is to be separated from God. There are many folks who will come in on, on a Sunday and sing, sing nearer my God to thee, and yet they know what they did the night before. They know what it is to be separated from God. Now you know separation, and now you also know fear in this sexual activity you've been involved in. You know what it is to, be, to have fear. Just like Adam and Eve feared, and they were afraid in sexual sin, you, you, you fear pregnancy. You, you fear somebody's going to find out. You fear that you're going to have to you're going to have to repeat these acts in order to keep somebody happy from now on out. And now you know judgment. Now you know judgment. See, that's, what it, that's the nature of sin. It gives you an education you're not looking for. It will teach you more than what you want to know. And judgment comes. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 6, God plainly says that He is an avenger upon everyone who takes their body, which is meant for holiness, and uses it for these types of activities. So please mark that. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 6. God is the avenger for these things. Now the way it ought to be. The way it ought to be when it comes to marriage. The way it ought to be with marriage and the gift of sexual relations. The way it ought to be is that two who have never experienced this at all, they explore it together for the very first time. They're not learning from the partner. They're learning with their partner. 
They're with their husband, with their wife. They're learning it together. Okay. And let me tell you that if one comes into the relationship and understands and sees that one is already fully experienced, then doubt and, and disappointment and a little distrust is going to enter that relationship until it's solved. Okay. The way it ought to be is that this part of marriage is reserved for marriage and each husband and wife, they present each other with an unopened gift after the marriage ceremony. They, they, they present to each other. Marriage itself is a gift. And what God has preserved for marriage is a gift. And they're able to offer to each other an unopened gift that will be able to be experienced for quite a long time. Sin will teach us more than we want to know. We've all heard the story about the 13 roses and the 12 students in class. The teacher has 13 roses and 12 students and she, she takes out one rose and, pa- one rose and passes it around that everybody handle the rose smell the rose, toy with the rose. Everybody passes around that one rose and then she puts it back in the box and then she sends the entire box around and says, pick one rose to keep for yourself and everybody picks a rose and when the box comes back to the teacher, of course, the rose that had been passed around was the one not chosen, of course. The rose that had received an education by going around all the class and being smelled and being touched and being played with, that's the very one that no one wanted. Well, that rose, that one particular rose got an education all right. And that's what sin will do to us. Sin will teach us more than what we want to know. The second place, sin will take us farther than we want to go. That's the nature of sin. Sin will take us farther than we want to go. Think about the prodigal son again and think about his plans to leave and think about his itinerary. What's on his itinerary? Well, we know basically what it was. I'm going to take this inheritance. I'm going to get with some buddies. I'm going to go to a beach. I'm going to go to a bar. We're going to basically just just serve ourselves for a long time. But he didn't read the fine print on that itinerary which said pig pen. Because that's where he ended up. His sin will take us farther than we want to go. Where was Jonah going? Go back to the book of Jonah, chapters 1 and 2. Where is he going? Okay, what, is his iten- what is his itinerary? You know, well, all he knows is he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He has a huge prejudice against going to Nineveh. So he goes in the very opposite direction. He goes to Tarshish. Gets on a boat to Tarshish. I don't know what he expected, but I know what he got. First, he got a storm because God sent a storm. This was totally unfair to the other mariners on the boat. They got the storm. The storm almost broke up the boat, but he got a storm. Secondly, he got the sea because it came to pass that the only way to calm the storm down was to throw Jonah into the sea. He got the sea. And Jonah will describe, what's worse, 
drowning or almost drowning? He almost drowned. He describes this for us there in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 3 where he says he was cast into the depth, into the very heart of the waters and that the waves above and the billows above overpassed him. So he was surrounded by the waters and he looked up and the waves were just going. He, he, he was in the midst of the sea and he looked to have absolutely no hope. I don't know what he expected, but he got a storm, and then he got the sea waters, and then he got the swallowing, didn't he? So God prepared a fish, Jonah 1, 17, to swallow Jonah, a great big sea monster. Can you imagine being in the digestive system of a huge sea monster? Okay. Can you imagine how utterly severe that was? There's a reason that our digestive systems are not out here in the open. There's a reason they're inside our body. We don't have to deal with our digestive system. But there Jonah is having to deal with a digestive system of a great big sea monster that God had prepared for him. That's a little unsettling. I wonder if Jonah stopped right there in the middle of the sea or in the middle of the belly of that fish and said, How did I get here? What am I doing here? And the only answer he would have is, I ran away from God. Sin brought me here. Sin will take us farther than we want to go, you see. So he not only got the, he got the storm and the sea, he got the swallowing, he got the spewing up. So he became part of the vomit of this great sea monster. He got vomited up. Hmm. That's not what he... Bargain for. All he wanted to do was get away from God. All he wanted to do was get into his sin. But it took him farther than he wanted to go. It's interesting that the devil had a boat ready for, for Jonah. He had a boat ready for him. He had a boat ready to go to Tarshish. No problem to book a passage to Tarshish. There you go. I suggest to you that the devil keeps a boat ready for Tarshish for all of us. If we want to go, we are free to go. In fact, one of the surprising things probably in the, in the prodigal son story that Jesus gives us is just how easy it was for the prodigal to leave home. And it is just that easy. The devil is ready for it. He, he will book a passage for you to go into the far country or to go to Tarshish. It's just that easy. When the prodigal came to the father and said, give me my inheritance, there you are. There's your inheritance. Take off. The devil will keep a boat ready for Tarshish anytime we want to get on it. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, The devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Devour. We said at the beginning, the devil's not interested in us just dabbling in sin. He will eventually take us into a devouring situation. Sin will be all around us. We'll be in the midst of the digestive system of sin. We'll be there. He wants to, he wants to devour us. Genesis 4, 7, God said to, to Cain, he says, If you don't do well, sin couches at the door. That's where sin is. There's the devil. He's couching out the door. It's really easy. All we've got to do is open the door and, and walk in. Matthew seven thirteen. Jesus says that broad 
and wide is the road that leads to destruction. It's wide open. The devil says, come on in. It's easy to find. It's easy to get onto. There's plenty of room here. Just come aboard. The devil keeps a boat ready for Tarshish, not just for Jonah, but for any of us. What are some of those boats? What are some of those boats the devil has ready for us today? Well, just kind of glance around your body and you'll know what those boats are. You think about your tongue. There's the boat of bad language. You think about what goes into your body. There is the, there's the boat of alcohol and, and drugs. Okay? Drugs of the official kind, the drugs of the non-official kind, whatever it goes in your body, it's bad for you. So there's the there is the boat of drugs and, and alcohol. There, if you look upon your body, there's the there's the boat of immodest dress, which becomes a problem uh, every year about this time. Immodest dress that the devil loves is the boat of immodest. Uh, dress. There's the boat of bad attitudes. When you think about your mind and your heart, you think about bad attitudes, you think about your character. There's the boat of dishonesty. When you think outside your body, there's, you think about friends. There's the boat of bad uh, friendships. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says that evil companionships corrupt good morals. There's the boat of evil companionships. There's the boat of possessions that can possess us. There's a lot of boats the devil has ready for us, and it's very easy to book passage on these. You see, sin will take us farther than we want to go. In the third place, sin will keep us longer than we want to stay. Sin will keep us longer then we want to stay. Now, we all love the prodigal story because the prodigal comes home. It's, it's bad that he leaves. He goes to some far country. He spends all. And, but he comes to himself, Luke 15, 17. And he repents and he comes home. He says to his father, you know, make me as one of your hired servants. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Tremendous humility and repentance combined Together And the father rejoices, representing God himself. The father rejoices and runs and hugs his neck and he prepares a great meal for him and brings a new robe and shoes and a ring. And it's wonderful, but the truth is most prodigals do not come home. Most prodigals do not come home. And that's because sin is very addictive. There's an enslaving nature to sin. We read about it. Jesus himself said, John eight thirty four, those who commit sin will become bondservants of sin. Second Peter two nineteen, Peter says we are we can become servants of corruption. All right. Peter also mentions to Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter eight that he was in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Sin has an enslaving nature to it, and the sad reality is that. Most of the time, the prodigals do not come home. You see, it's hard. It's very hard. In fact, we read Proverbs 13, 15, that the way of the transgressor is hard, and it is hard to come home. It's hard. It is hard to admit that you have been wrong. It's very hard. 
hard. It is hard to break bad habits. Those become ingrained in our very soul. It is hard to give up those friends who have helped you go into the far country. It is hard to live down that bad reputation. It is hard to unravel the entanglements of sin. It's very hard to unravel all of that. It can be done, but it's very difficult. Most prodigals just do not come home. If you were to take a church directory from anywhere, just go back a few years, look at a few pictures, and you'll remember that this one here or that one there, they have been overtaken in a fault. And probably if they were overtaken in a fault, then it's probably going to be the same case now. Now, of course, there are exceptions. We pray for those exceptions. We work for those, those exceptions. God wants those exceptions. He wants prodigals, prodigals to come home. Prodigals do come home, but we know by the very nature of the case and the reality of the situation is they do not come home. And so we must understand ahead of time. We must understand ahead of the situation. We must try to get ahead of sin and understand that sin will keep us longer than we want to stay. And then finally this morning, sin will cost us more than we want to pay. This is the nature of sin. It will cost us more than we want to pay. Of course, the prodigal, when he left home, he spent his substance in riotous living, it says, and he spent all, and when he had spent all, a famine came upon the land, and so he had to go join himself to a certain citizen, and that citizen sent him out to feed the swine, and he would fain have eaten of the husk at the very slop that the swine were eating, that's how hungry he got. It will cost us more than we want to pay. We think about, in the Old Testament, we think about a man by the name of Samson. We read about him in Judges chapters 13 to 16, Samson. Samson, he is a typical fellow in the world. He is very athletic. He's stronger than anybody here, here is the guy who always has a girl on his arm. And he can just about get any girl he wants to get. I don't say much for the female population, but he can, he can get about any girl he wants to get. Here's the fella. He's the, he's the jokester in the class. He's got his riddles. He poses riddles. He's got the answer. He's the jokester. He's the one that can cut you down a size. He's got all the answers, and he can spill them out quickly. Here's the guy who's always starting fights and finishing fights and seems to never get in trouble for those. We know the type. We grew up with those types, didn't we? These are the types headed face first into sin. And it costs Samson, as you know. It cost him. First, it cost him his strength because one of his girlfriends cut his hair, Delilah. He lost his strength. And that led to a loss of freedom. 
And that led to his, gouge, his eyes being gouged out. That led to a loss of his eyesight, his vision. We don't have to go into the depths of sin like Samson to understand that any sin, little or great, is bad. Any sin, little or great, can cause us to lose what Samson lost. We can lose our spiritual strength. We will no longer stand up for the truth. We will let the world push us around. We can lose our freedom, the freedom that Jesus has in store for us, freedom from sin, freedom from from guilt, freedom from, from shame, freedom from separation, freedom from fear. We can lose that freedom. And we can lose our vision. Spiritually speaking, we can lose our vision. We can lose our way. We can't see ahead of us. We can't, we can't understand what the Lord wants from, from us because we're too busy with sin to read His Word and understand what He would have us to do. Sin has everything to do with the cross. It really does. Jesus did not die on the cross for us to dabble in sin. He died for us to become more and more holy. Like he is holy. We read the question from Paul. In Romans 6 verse 2. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But read with me from 1 Peter 3.18. And we'll be done. 1 Peter 3. I should say. 1 Peter 2.18. In 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 18, it talks about servants. And then it talks about, in verse 21, how Jesus lived a life here. And he left us an example. And he did no sin, leaving that example. Now let your words, let your eyes go over to the words of 1 Peter 3. Notice verse 18 with me. 1 Peter three eighteen. Because Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. Notice that carefully. 1 Peter 3.18 Because Christ also suffered for sins once the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the Spirit. Now let your eyes go back to 1 Peter 2, this time 24. 24. Notice this carefully. Jesus, in His own self, He bare our sins in His body upon the tree, that we having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now notice that carefully. Jesus died for us. He went, up to, he went to that tree so that we would die to sin and live unto righteousness. See, we're about to assemble around the Lord's table here in just a minute. And it certainly is about gratitude 
toward the Lord and his mercy, his love, the sacrifice of Jesus. It is about all of that. But it's also about us committing to living in such a way to get ahead of sin, to walk that way of holiness the Lord would have us to walk. We invite you to the Lord, of course, this morning. The Lord invites us home to Him. If you have never put Jesus on in baptism, having received forgiveness of sins, we invite you to enjoy that tremendous blessing. But the Lord also calls us not to be worldly, but to live for Him, to put away sin. We've tried to notice together this morning that sin will teach us more than what we want to know. Sin will take us farther than we want to go. Sin will keep us longer than we want to stay. And sin will cost us more than we'll ever want to pay. Won't you please come right now as we stand together, as we sing.